Our next reading is from the book of Second Timothy, chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 11. And in this Pew Bible, it's on page 1248 for those who would like to follow on in the, in the Bible. Second Timothy 2, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Thank you, um, Regina. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you'll give us understanding of it. Help us to apply it in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, think for a moment about a mother's job description. Have you done a job description as mums? Is it never-ending? The story is told about, uh, of a man who came home from work and found his three children outside, still in their pyjamas laying in the mud. The door of his wife's car was open, as was the front door to the house, and there was no sign of the dog. The dogs disappeared. Going into the entry, he found an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over. In the front room, the TV was loudly blaring, a cartoon channel, probably Spongebob. Anyone watch a Spongebob? No? Come on. Oh, I see some adults racing, and I, I watch as well. It's okay, it's okay, it's all right, it's good. Okay. Anyway, in the front room of the TV was loudly blaring a cartoon channel, and the family room was covered with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink, breakfast food was spilled on the counter, and the fridge door was open wide. He quickly headed up the stairs, stepping over the toys, looking for his wife. Where are you, wife? He was worried she might be ill or that something serious had happened. And as he rushed to the bedroom, he found his wife still curled up in the bed 
in her pyjamas reading a book. She looked at him, smiled and asked him how his day went. He looked at her bewildered and asked, what happened here today? She again smiled and answered. You know when a wife smiles, it says a lot, doesn't it? Well, she said this, you know every day when you come home from work and you ask me, what in the world do I do all day? Man thought for a moment and said, yes, that's exactly what I asked you. And she answered, well, today I didn't do it. (laughs) I didn't do it. So here it is. Here's the house, here are the kids in their PJs, here's everything as it is. It's up to you now to do the stuff. Wow. Sounds familiar, mums? What kind of job description can anyone draw up for a mother? A busy mother, especially with young kids. We have young mums here with young kids running around. Boy, your oh boy. I mean, we've had our, well, we have kids, but they are now grown up. Different challenges at every stage in life, all right? Uh, when they were small, they're running around the place, and you're running after them and thinking, man, how am I going to get through this day? And I'm sure as mums, I'm sure, I'm sure, you must want to sit down at the end of the day, have a cup of tea or a coffee, and just lay back, right? Okay, and relax. And the husband comes home, the father comes home, they are yours now. You can have the kids. I'm going to have a latte and sit back. Mums, what a wonderful privilege it is, I would think, to be for you a a mother. It's a great gift and an honor, I would think, for you. See, but a mum's work never stops, does it? Really. It never really stops. Even when your kids are grown up and they left the house, it never stops. Parenting really never stops. It goes on. Different challenges all the time. Well, this morning... On this Mother's Day, I haven't preached the Mother's Day sermon for a while. I just want to focus our thoughts on Second Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And a fantastic text. We're going to unpack that in a moment. See, what we see here in this text is a mother's influence on her son, Timothy. Before we proceed to look at our text, let me put this text in its immediate context, very briefly. Because I think it's important for us to understand what's going on here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, chapter, chapter, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. He was in prison. He was in a dungeon awaiting his execution. He's in prison due to his faith in Christ and has been a preacher of the gospel. Remember Paul, the guy who actually persecuted the church, persecuted Christians? He was there when Stephen was being stoned, the first Christian martyr. And now Paul is in this dungeon. He's somewhere in Rome. He's in a prison. I've read up on this prison. It's a packed place where there are 30 to 35 guys, criminals packed in one place, low down in a dungeon, waiting for their execution. 
Some of the prisoners were sent out through the opening of the gate into an entire sewer system in Rome. And they were swallowed up there and drowned and died. But Paul wasn't. He was taken out and actually executed. So remember this guy Paul. He's jam-packed there with criminals. And this is what Paul says uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. It says this, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. He's waiting execution. Many other Christians before him were executed. And then Paul says this, very, very profound words in Second Timothy chapter 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So this letter, in a sense, is a very solemn letter. As we come to Second Timothy, this is the situation where we find Paul in. And in prison, Paul writes this last letter that he ever wrote. Don Carson, commenting on this letter, states, it has the character of a testamentary charge. This is the final will and testament of the Apostle Paul. These are his last words. And he chooses to write to Timothy, of all the people that he could have written to and all the churches that he may have written to, Paul chooses to write to Timothy. Why? Because Paul says, I have finished the course, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I am ready to be offered, this is it, and I want to say this before I go. And Timothy, you are going to carry on the work of the gospel. Right? It is a passing on of the baton. Right? Uh, this is what discipleship is all about, isn't it? We are passing on, we are training other people so that they can continue the work. And Paul is saying, my time's coming on, I'm going to pass on the baton to you. Now let me tell you something else about Timothy. Timothy had traveled with Paul through most of his second and third missionary journeys. You can read about it in the book of Acts. He was Paul's co-worker who was set apart for gospel work. And Paul has observed Timothy's life. In fact, we read this in Philippians chapter 2. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Paul calls him a son. To Timothy, my dear son. Timothy, you are my son. Now Paul doesn't have a wife. He was never married. He had no kids. Paul's family are the people who love Jesus. And he operates like a father to them, mentoring, loving, and encouraging them. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To see us as the family of God, right? I don't have brothers and sisters. When I first came to Australia, it was a, such a lonely experience for me. I remember it just as today. But then, God provided a caring church for me to visit every Sunday. And people showed me hospitality. And on Sundays, I would go and visit them. And I knew these are my brothers and sisters in Christ that God has provided. And he uses people to mentor us. And so Paul calls Timothy a son. You see, Paul's family are the people of God. Timothy doesn't have a believing father. In Acts chapter 16, we learn that his mom was a believer, and more about that later on, and his father wasn't. As far as we know, Timothy's father never came to faith in Christ. Timothy never never had an older man who understood and explained the gospel to him. Timothy did not have an older man who would pray for him. Timothy did not have an older man that he could call and follow as his father spiritually, a mentor. 
Do you have somebody mentoring you? Someone? An older person perhaps? I have one guy, a retired minister. He's in his 70s. And my kids know that. When the phone goes on, they see his name on the pad. Dad, it's Mr. So-and-so. And he calls me up. And I catch up with him almost every week. He'll call me. How is it going, Chris? What's happening? And I will share with him. And he will be praying for me. This man I've known for 20 years since I've been in Australia. It's been a great encouragement to me. And the kids know Mr. So-and-so is calling. And that phone's going to be busy. It's going to be busy for the next 20, 30 minutes because Mr. So-and-so is talking with Dad. And we have this time that we share together. You see, as Timothy, um, and, and, and so Paul was that kind of a father to, to Timothy, a spiritual father. And Paul says, I love you, Timothy, like a son. And that's Paul's heart for Timothy. And notice his greetings. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. And I quickly say that grace is God's goodness to us, mercy, God's kindness to us, peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. All of these things, Paul says, are the greetings. It comes from God the Father through Jesus Christ. I'm leading up to our text here. So 2 Timothy 1, Paul says in 3 and 4, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, within this context, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your who? Your grandmother. How many grandmas here? Please, raise your hand. Don't worry, raise it. Yeah, I see a few hands. Okay. Right. What a wonderful privilege it is, isn't it? To have your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Nobody got great-grandchildren? Ah, I see a couple of hands. Wow. Wonderful. Right. You see, Paul is saying here, I am reminded of your sincere faith Right, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. You see, Paul cares about the family, and this is beautiful. He says, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. Paul is in prison, and what's he thinking about in prison? He's thinking about Timothy's faith. Right? And not, not just the faith, he's thinking about Timothy's sincere faith. I'm going to explain that in a moment. Now, where did Timothy learn about this faith from? Where did he learn this from? He has learned it from his nana. Alright? If you're a Dutch person here, you'll say you learnt it from your Oma. Your Nana. He's learnt it from Nana, Grandma Lois. And he's learnt it from his mum, Eunice. That's what we see here in the text. And Paul knew them because it is very possible that they were led to Christ by Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey to Timothy's home area in Galatia. So when Paul and Barnabas came to their, on, on that journey in Acts chapter 14, these women were no doubt influenced by the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas perhaps took them and they were surely Old Testament saints, godly Jewish women. And these Jewish women on all accounts became believers through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And by the time Paul comes around his second missionary journey in Acts, you know what? These women, Nana Lois and Mum Eunice, those names rock, don't they? Right? Had <laughs> led young Timothy to Christ. And Timmy, by God's grace, receives the faith of Christ. And his mother, grandmother, 
and which he has received and learned from his mum and grandmother. In a sense, Timothy is, in a sense, a child of Paul's preaching, and yet through his mother and grandmother he has received a rich faith. Lois is an incredible grandmother. She gets a mention in the Bible. Lois is awesome. She's a woman of sincere faith. Here is Nana having a deep faith in Christ. Nana Lois looking and talks about that sincere faith together with her daughter Eunice. And now it's been passed on to the grandson. See, Timothy's grandmother and mother were Jews who came to Christ in fulfillment of their Jewish heritage. They experienced the profound continuity of the, both the old and new covenants, which resulted in a deep and living faith. Well, who's the most sincere, devout person here? It's Lois, because she was the first one in the family born to Christ. And then there is Eunice. You see, Timothy's father was a Greek. Eunice had been married to a Greek unbeliever. He may have left her, he may have died. We don't know. Some people say, commentators of the view, he may have died. We don't know that. But whatever the circumstances, Eunice was a single mom. Right? A believing mother living with an unbelieving spouse. No father. And what does this Christian mother do? I mean, we have women here in our congregation whose spouses are not believers. What a challenge that must be. Think about them for a moment. Right? But this mother does something. She teaches her son the best thing ever, the scriptures. See, what a challenge it is, isn't it? Right? A single mom. What a challenge it must have been for the single mom to balance work. To balance the shopping, the cooking, no washing machines, no dishwashers, no microwaves, no gadgets, no coffee machines that you press the button and the lattes come out, nothing. Right? They had to work hard, hard working, single mom, bringing up her child. As a single mom, Eunice must have had her challenges in bringing up Timothy. And Timothy would have observed, he would have observed his mom and her lifestyle. Kids do, don't they? Don't your kids look at you and observe you? Yes? They do. Of course they do. They look at you and say, oh, that's what mom's doing. Okay, they know the mom's mood as well. When mom is a, a, a moody way, she'll say, oh, what's wrong with mom? What's wrong with dad? The, the, the kids understand the dynamics in the home, right? They observe all the time. They see me, my kids see me, I don't use them as examples at all in churches, but my kids see me as I am at home. They see the weird side of me, they see the, the singing side of me, which you don't see. They see my sinfulness, they see my moods, they see my craziness, they see everything. The kids observe that. But I hope our kids will see something in us as parents, and that is our deep faith our deep love for Jesus. That's all I want my kids to know and see and to, to understand that deep love for Christ. You see, um, this, this would have been a busy household here. Um, you see, a church, a Christian school, a, a youth group, 
and Christian friends can deposit facts into the heads of our children. But it is at the home that they see the outworking of the gospel, right? It's at the home that they see this thing working out, right? They see and observe how mom and dad operate in the home. They see and observe how mom and dad react to one another in the home. You see, kids see how parents model God's truth in the home. And Timothy, growing up in such an environment where his father was not a believer, or perhaps not there, but he sees God's word in action. That God's word is held in high esteem in his household. And he has observed the lives of both his nana, his grandmother, and his mother. You see, Timothy's grandmother and mother valued the scriptures. They had their rich Jewish heritage. They would have read, perhaps, this text from Deuteronomy. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 to 9. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in, in your house and so forth. It's there for us to see. I'm not going to read the whole text this morning. And then we see this, friends, in Timothy's life. You look at Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And then in verse 15, and how from childhood, what is it? That you have been acquainted with what? The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise from, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. From childhood. We ourselves, you know, first have to love God and his word. It needs to be in our hearts. And if we don't, do not love God's word, we can never impart it to anyone. And Timothy was given the scriptures as a young lad in his home. Opening up the little children's Bible. Right? To go to Christian bookshelves, you know, all these kind of Bibles, kids' Bibles, diagrams. I mean, I've got those Bibles at home as well, right? Don't use it anymore. It may come in handy. Who knows? <laughs> the point is, the point is this. You know, we're reading the scriptures, right? And you open up the scriptures at home and read it to your child. I remember when we went to the U.S. Uh, uh, on a trip. I stayed with one of the crazy ministers in the U.S., a lovely, godly family. And when we went into their kitchen, and Rose and myself and Sean, we were there, that Bible text on the kitchen window, I went downstairs because that's where we had our basement, that's where we lived. On the, on the walls, it's Bible text everywhere. And kids are memorizing these passages. Oh, wow, what a godly home. Learning the Bible. You see, from childhood, they were taught the scriptures by Nana Lois, by, by Lois and Eunice. Never underestimate, friends, a mother's influence upon her child spiritually. You see, God has placed you as a Christian mother, to lead and to guide your child in the Lord. What an awesome responsibility, isn't it? You see, Timothy's mom, as a single mom, had to take on that responsibility. She knew the importance of God's word. Why? Because Paul says, these holy scriptures are able, the word that is used there is dunamina, which means powerfully, powerful, to make Timothy wise for salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because this is what we see. Second Timothy 3.16. We have memorized this passage, right? I'm sure we have done it here. All scripture is breathed 
out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting and for training in righteousness. You see, the origin of scripture is God. All scripture is God-breathed. It is the product of the creative act of the divine breath of the Holy Spirit. The scripture is God's word. It is infallible. It is mighty. It is everlasting. It is powerful. When somebody mounts this pulpit, he doesn't bring any other book here. We preach from this scripture. Right? Our Sunday school kids, they learn from this word. The youth group leaders part the knowledge of the scriptures to our young people. In our growth groups, we are studying the scriptures. Because this is God's word. It is given to us. It is written. It is inspired by God. It is precious. You see, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The unity of the scripture is due to its one divine author, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. 66 books, about 40 authors, 1500 years, and yet there is one book speaking of Christ. We believe in the principle of sola scriptura, scripture alone. Scripture alone is mighty to save because it also reveals Christ. A true church is built upon scripture alone. Yes? We need to have a few more amens to that. A true church is built on the scripture alone. Amen to that. You see, it is, it is ever relevant and it is always fresh, right? The scripture is not yesterday's word. It is given and when I read it and when you read it and I think about it and I meditate upon it, wow, I get encouragement for it. You know, there are sometimes in my life when the pressure is on time, sometimes when I feel just low and down, I, I go for my walks and I think about the scriptures and I pray. It's just, just about me, I'm not. I'm not putting my godliness out there, right? I'm just a normal guy, sinner, saved by grace. But I go walk in and I pray and I come back home and I think, wow, I feel, I feel much better. You know, the scriptures, God's word has spoken to me. And when I come on a Sunday morning, there are times I think, wow, how am I going to mount this pulpit, Lord, and preach to your precious people when I myself am going through all of these things in my own life? I look at the scriptures and say, Lord, thank you. You give me encouragement every week. This is God's word, you see. As a young, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a father, as a young person, get the scriptures in. It'll give you spiritual nourishment. It'll ground you. It'll make you strong. It'll encourage you. It'll empower you because it is God's word. You see that? It is the living word because in it God speaks. God speaks to us and we hear his voice. It is profitable for all people. And Timothy grew up with the nourishment of the Holy Scriptures taught to him by his grandmother and mother. He had seen and observed their, their lives. So we have a beautiful picture, isn't it? Timothy, who was nourished by the Old Testament, came to the same understanding Paul had arrived at, that the Messiah of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, was raised, and is reigning. What a beautiful picture of three generations in this text. Grandmother, daughter, and grandson. They are all by God's grace at a sincere faith. 
a sincere faith. You see, friends, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith that now lives in you. You see, Timothy had a sincere faith. He had a genuine faith. It was the genuine thing. I remember as a teenager, I received a wristwatch. Of course, not this one. Many, many years ago. I'm not that old. (laughs) But I received a wristwatch, okay? Uh, my parents gave me one watch and someone else from overseas came or family members, they gave me a watch. It was a Seiko. Have you heard of the Seiko brand? The Japanese good watch? I was so thrilled. I got it in a box. I thought, wow, man, this is great stuff for me. I can wear it to school, you know, show it around, wristwatch thing. And then uh, one day it didn't really work and uh, one of my family members, my uncle, looked at it and said, I said, look at this, the Seiko watch. It can't, it, it should be working. They looked at the back of it and said, Hey, Chris, um, he didn't call me Chris, it's not, anyway, it's okay. He said, look, this is, not, this is not the genuine thing. Did you know that? It's actually made somewhere else. And I won't say where it was made. <laughs> right? It's not, not the Japanese thing. It's not the genuine article. Ah, oh, man, I just felt like terrible. I, I thought I got this beautiful watch. It's not a genuine thing. Right? See, our faith, we might profess it. But professing faith is, is one thing, but actually to possess faith is a different thing. So it's, it's different, extremely different. When you possess faith, you know Christ. Professing faith, you can do the thing wherever, but you actually possess it. A sincere faith, a genuine thing, a genuine faith. His heart was in it, and Paul believed in Timothy's faith. You see, let me say this. Dr. Sproul says this about faith. The word faith is heard often these days, but it is given many different meanings. Sometimes it is used in the sense of trust. Other times it has more to do with hope. Perhaps most often it is used to mean belief in something apart from rational or empirical support. So the gospel is the heart of this faith. Why do I say that? Because you see people, yesterday we had a talk. Stephen and myself, oh Stephen, you're in the back there. We had a talk with this guy, you know, Box Hill Central, where they have these lights and music and all that, where people don't want to sit there. And this guy was busking, his guitar was there. When I sat next to him, I had this conversation, and he openly said to us, I'm a deist. Remember the conversation, Steve? We had a massive conversation with him. I explained, started explaining the gospel about Jesus and gave him an invitation. His name is Laurie. I've been praying for Laurie. And I invited him to church. I said, tonight is our coffee house. Come. Who knows? It's the marketplace, isn't it? People have all kinds of ideas about Jesus. And he said, I don't believe Jesus died on the cross straight away. You see, friends, the gospel, and when we talk about faith, faith is based in Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached by my gospel. Remember Jesus. See, how about your faith this morning? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning? Perhaps this is the first time you come here, perhaps. Or maybe it's the first time you're hearing about God's amazing love for you as an individual this morning. And perhaps you're lost in your own life. And I want to say this morning, friends, that God is speaking to you perhaps and He's saying, Come, I... Let me give you the gift of faith that you will believe in my son Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, 
risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The promised one has come. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Is your faith genuine? How sincere is that faith in your life this morning? Can you really be able to say from your heart today, my Jesus, I love you. My Jesus, I love you and I know you are mine. You see, this is the Jesus Christ that we love and we honor and we serve because he gave his all for me. He gave his all for us. And he understands the challenges of motherhood. He understands the challenges of being a father. He understands the heartache of being a single mother. He understands and he loves our children. He loves our homes. And he wants our homes to be pleasant places where our children can grow up and love and have laughter and fun and excitement and joy and tears. Don't you have so many tears sometimes in your home as parents with your kids? And you adjust to their moods and everything else. It all happens, isn't it, in the home. And God says, I understand it because I love you and I love your home. And I want to bless your home as you trust my son Jesus. You see? Now, you see, I don't want any mother this morning to leave this place feeling discouraged and despondent. I've had mothers tell me throughout the years with sadness and tears in their eyes that their children are not walking with the Lord. They have told me how they read the Bible at home to their children, brought their children to Sunday school, to kids', to kids church, to church. But sadly today, the children are not walking with Christ. This is heartbreaking. Friends, don't be discouraged. See, John Newton, the great preacher and the author of one of the best-known hymns in the church, Amazing Grace, had a godly mother who prayed for him and imparted the scriptures to him. John never followed the Lord until one day he was converted and God answered the prayers of Mrs. Newton. And John Newton wrote and penned that amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His mother's prayer was answered and she was not alive to see that. Is there a mother, a father, a grandparent who has prayed, is still praying for your for child or grandchild to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, but there is no sign of it happening as yet? Keep praying. Because as you sowed the seeds, like Mrs. Newton did to little John, he was converted. It's no, this God's grace. Lois and Eunice shared that faith, the scriptures, and God in his grace brought Timothy to faith in Jesus. Keep praying that the seeds will one day become fruit and that your child or your grandchild that you are praying for will come to faith in God, in Jesus Christ one day. Ask God to give you the assurance that you have received his amazing grace. Do it now. As I close, there never would have been a Isaac without a Sarah, a Moses without a Jochebed, a Samuel without a Hannah, a John without a Elizabeth, 
a Timothy without a Eunice or a John Mark without a Mary. May God encourage your heart. Amen. Let's pray.